mean, I think there's always a target on our back, but I kind of, there's also a target on the opponents that we're playing. We, we put a target on them. Um, it's kind of like uh, John Wick, you know, he's being hunted, but at the same time, he's hunting those guys as well. Hello and welcome in. It's always college football. Today is Monday, the July 17th edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy, your host, along with Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, and Jake Garcia. We appreciate you guys coming and spending opening day with us. Now you're going to say opening day. What are you talking about? Well, today is opening day of the unofficial start of college football. It's easy enough to spell out, right? I mean, goodness gracious, we got media days starting up at the SEC. I know Big 12 had their media days last week, and we will talk at length about the Big 12 media days. A lot of very interesting comments coming out of Dallas-Fort Worth during their time there. We will dive in, and we're going to talk a little bit about the strength of the Big 12. Very excited about where this league is going. We want to set the table for SEC Media Days as well. We have a ton of tweets that we need to get to. We have a mailbag question we need to get to. So a lot here in store on a Monday edition of Always College Football. I want to continue to push you guys if you could. And we have so appreciated everybody that has gone out of their way to leave a review. Like Nady Mort 8071A. That might be my mom. I don't know who that is. But either way, very much appreciate you. Golf for Allen, MRTR 2012. All you guys leaving reviews for us on Apple Podcasts, it means an awful lot, man. We really need you guys to continue to support the show by leaving us a review, by leaving us a rating. It goes and really, it goes a long way. But we don't have a marketing budget here at Always College Football. Our marketing is is the word of mouth that you guys give for us and the reviews and the ratings that you give us. So if you could leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you're on the YouTube channel, subscribe to ESPN's College Football channel. Hit the thumbs up button. That'd be amazing. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And you don't have to be on Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Do it on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast, leave us a rating. Leave us a review if you can. It means a lot. And I can promise you it does not go unnoticed. All right, let's not waste any additional time. Big 12 media days. A lot of hot topics. But the biggest topic, how good is this league? Big 12 Media Days were last week, and if you missed it, we pulled out some of the highlights from some of the big stars of the show. I want to start with just an overarching theme about the Big 12, right? The Big 12 feels a little bit like a resurrected league, don't they? I mean, I I, I feel like we were talking about the Big 12, and it, I, look, always college football didn't exist at this point. But this was a couple years back. I remember being at SEC Media Days, hearing about Texas and OU leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, and all of us collectively thinking, what the heck is going to happen to the Big 12? I mean, I, I remember sitting there thinking, like, how are they going to exist with their current state? And what's to stop, say, the Big 10 from going and getting Kansas, from going and getting Iowa State to match up with Iowa? I, I just thought that it was a league that's end was near. And I could not feel better about where the league's at right now. I actually mean that having listened to the commissioner, having listened to several coaches, having kind of seen just the response on social media with how many people were paying attention last week. So just an overarching 30,000 foot perspective about the Big 12. Job well done, man. I mean, honestly, job well done. Because while I know a lot of people 
And I, and I saw this because I tweeted it out last week saying, man, I couldn't feel better about the future of the Big 12. I said, they have great leadership. They have a plan. They're nimble. They're dynamic. They're aggressive. All of that, I think, remains to be seen as to whether or not how aggressive they're going to be. But my goodness, for a league that was on life support just two years ago, think about how much stronger they feel today. They added four outstanding programs in Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston teams, I think with increased budgets now that are going to be far more competitive and they've already been competitive up to this point. I mean, you added a team that's made the college football playoff at Cincinnati, a team that has a national championship. I know those of you that are collectively rolling your eyes, fine, but there was a publication that awarded UCF the national championship in 2017. I don't acknowledge it, but there are some that do. But a team that was at least, if, even if you don't think they won the national championship sub-team, they were at least in the mix. They were in the hunt. They were in the conversation. So you've added a team that made the playoff in Cincinnati, a team that won and or was in the national championship conversation just in the last six or seven years. You added a team with unbelievable resources in Houston in arguably pound for pound, one of the most talent-rich communities in the country. Then you add another team that, in BYU, not only recruits nationally, but internationally and has a national championship under their belt as well. Granted, 30 plus years ago, but still a national championship banner hangs in Provo, Utah. So just without going too far down the rabbit hole and for you guys to think that like I'm like beating the drum for the Big 12, I'm not. I, I just I'm really proud of what that league has turned into and how it doesn't feel like they're going to stop. It feels like the best is yet to come for the league as a whole. And I'm happy for that because I think it's a better sport with the big 12's existence. So we'll see where it goes, but I told you we're going to get to some of the audio from the big 12. Let's take a listen and hear, and try to maybe read between the tea leaves about what some of the people might've said. Let's start with Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers on where they stand mentally heading into the season. I mean, I think there's always a target on our back, but I kind of, there's also a target on the opponents that we're playing. We, we put a target on them. Um, it's kind of like uh, John Wick. You know, he's being hunted, but at the same time, he's hunting those guys as well. Well, anytime we can get a John Wick reference in, I'm good with it. Uh, one of the most underrated movies, perhaps the last six, seven years, they've now made four of them. Clearly, it's a cash cow, and Keanu Reeves still kicks tail. All right, so Neo is still working, even though he's now John Wick. All right, proud of that. But let's not go down that rabbit hole, at least not today. Let's start with whether or not Texas is the hunter or the hunted or whatever it is they were. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this was a team that had a lot of ups and downs last year, a team that won only eight games last year. And, you know, while they do have a remarkably good roster and significant expectations, are, are they really different this year as compared to previous years? Because I, I've always looked at it and I've always looked at it through a lens of Texas is always the hunted. Guess what? So is Oklahoma. So you Sooner fans that are sitting there saying, wait, 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 hang on. They haven't won any championships. They haven't done anything. I understand that. We're on the same page there. I'm not trying to suggest that Texas, at least in the last decade and change, has been on the same level as Oklahoma. They haven't. It hasn't been close. But Texas is always going to be a game that's circled on the schedule for so many teams. You think Baylor gets up to play Texas? You think TCU does? What about... Texas Tech. Uh, in the new look Big 12, I think Houston's going to be fired up to have that opportunity to take them down. Sure. 
I mean, these are teams that every year they circle Texas, say, man, I can't wait to get a shot at the Longhorns. So how is this year different? Because if you're Texas, you're always playing with a significant amount of expectations. We in the media fall victim to it every offseason. You guys know this. <laughs> You've made fun of me for it. You've made fun of everybody in the media for it. And I got to be honest with you, I kind of chuckle every year when I see Texas in the top eight. I have them there, <laughs> but I, I kind of chuckle every year. It's like, what, what based on last year leads you to believe that this team's going to be way better than they were the year before? What leads you to believe to think that they're back? I, I, I don't really know outside of the fact that their roster is pretty dang good, but how much of it has to do with the fact that we all look at the rest of the Big 12? Because I, you know what, there has to be a team that's favorited going into the season. But how much of it has to do with the fact that maybe the rest of the Big 12 might be regressing a little bit? Do you think TCU is going to be as good as last year? Do you think Kansas State's going to be as good as last year? What about Oklahoma State? They feel like a team that's in a little bit of flux. Now, I think Texas Tech's up. I think Baylor's up. I think Oklahoma's up. But you kind of get to Texas almost in the Big 12, almost through a process of elimination. I, I don't like to pick champions that way. But they do feel like the team that has the best chance not to disappoint. You know what I mean? So uh, I guess in a roundabout way of saying, yes, they are the hunter or the hunted, excuse me. But that's really no different than any of the previous years, at least in, in my lifetime, uh, as a guy that's followed college football. Let's go next to the defending champs. Maybe they're the hunted. Let's have us listen to hear what, what Chris Kleiman had to say. I'm kind of excited about it, actually. Um, but in, in this league, I think everybody circles every game. I, I just don't – I've never bought into one game is more important than another because if you do, what are you going to tell your players the next week, that this one's not quite as important? Um, but, yeah, to be the hunted, um, the fact that uh, we're the defending Big 12 champs means nothing when you go into that game. Well, I think Kansas State – is among the most respected teams in the Big 12. You know what you're going to get. Look, you, you go, you tee it up in Manhattan, or if they come to your place, guess what? You know, you know, it's going to be a knockdown, knockdown, drag, drag, <laughs> knockdown, drag out fight. It's going to be a war. They're a physical team that wants to run the football. They have a clearly established identity. They're extremely sound. They're extremely well coached, and they're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to earn it against Kansas State. That goes without saying. Now, sure, there's going to be games in which they don't have their best stuff. And if, say, for instance, Texas plays their A game and Kansas State in the same game plays their A game, Texas will win. Their ceiling's higher. But I also feel like Kansas State is one of the teams in the league with the highest floor. A team that isn't going to disappoint you because they're very, very solid. They have excellent quarterback play. Do wonder what they're going to do at the running back spot, even though we've documented the fact that there is quality at that position, but is that quality up to the standard of a Deuce Vaughn? The defensive line took a couple hits, but collectively on defense at all three levels, you know they're going to be really solid. The offensive line should be pretty good. That's the identity. That's that's where they that's where they butter their bread. So I'm not expecting that group to regress significantly. So look at Kansas State. Are they the hunted? Probably not but they are among the most respected. So you know when you have to play against Kansas State, you better bring your lunch pail. It's going to be a 60-minute war. 
and you better be prepared for that. But they kind of surprised everybody last year, not so much us. If you go back and check the tape, there were two teams we really liked last year, and we had them in the Big 12 Championship. That'd be Kansas State and TCU. We nailed it. We feel good about it. But either way, we we didn't necessarily think that either team was within striking distance of the playoff, TCU especially, so we got it wrong in a roundabout way. But let's focus, glass half full. Like, we did okay. <laughs> what we think about as far as surprises this year in the Big 12, let's start with the four new additions. In the order in which I think the four new additions will finish, I like UCF 1, BYU 2, Cincinnati 3, Houston 4. That's the order of finish I see amongst the new additions. As far as the other teams in the league, is Texas Tech really a surprise anymore? I mean, because they've they've been a trendy team all offseason. They, they feel like they have some momentum. They have a veteran quarterback that's playing under his offensive coordinator for the second consecutive year. That's the first time in Tyler Shuck's career he's had a quarterback coach and offensive coordinator return. So he's had a lot of turnover, and maybe it's halted his development. He's in a pretty good spot. The guy's in year six, by the way, five different coordinators. It's crazy when you think about it. But I think they have all the pieces, but I feel like they're trendy. I, I don't I feel like if Texas Tech finishes eight and four, nine and three, finish maybe 17, 18 in the country, is that is that gonna is that a surprise? Is that is that a shock? Because it's not to me. If there's going to be a surprise. Perhaps maybe the biggest surprise in the Big 12 last year. I know TCU is kind of in a league of their own. I don't even think Kansas State was a big surprise last year, frankly, looking at what they brought back. Now, I thought it'd be Adrian Martinez that was leading them to a Big 12 title game appearance. I did not anticipate a quarterback change, but I digress. I do think the team that could be poised to surprise, it, with the exception of Texas Tech, is Baylor. Uh, and no one's really talking about Baylor at this point. Remember two years ago, Big 12 champs lost a lot of good pieces off that team that went to the Sugar Bowl and ultimately won the Sugar Bowl. Does feel like last year was a bit of a disappointment, but I'd be really surprised if that group doesn't respond. Lost some close games. I mean, had TCU on the ropes. If not for the hurricane field goal at the end of the game, who knows what the outcome of that game might have possibly looked like. So I think Baylor would be the team that I would circle right now. Just kind of, hey, they're kind of waiting in the weeds, but don't sleep on them because I think they have a chance to be really dangerous. Let's go next to the second year head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Brent Venables made some made some noise. I mean, said very little, but certainly made some noise. Let's take a listen. Six and seven, none of it's any good. Um, <laughs> right? But if had we been, you know, had we gotten blown out by a Middle Tennessee, right? Had we gotten beat by Florida State, forty-five to three, right? You know, the conversation's probably a little different. All right, you hear the shade right there. A little subtle jab at Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricanes by referencing Tennessee, uh, by referencing Middle Tennessee. Uh, also, additional shade against Miami. Because they did get blown out by Florida State. So <laughs> why Brent Venables felt the need to poke Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricane? Are they rivals now? Is this a new rivalry? Should we introduce this in a world in which rivalries are just being created out of thin air? Should we introduce this as a possible rivalry? Why not? I mean, if UCLA and Rutgers are going to be rivals, why wouldn't we just make Miami and Oklahoma rivals? It makes sense to me. I mean, both coaches, highly paid in their second year, both had disappointing year ones. 
Brent Venables needs to have a good year this year. But what I think is most important, there is this common vernacular in sports, and you, you guys have heard it. To be honest with you, I've probably been, I've probably used this phrase once or twice. You are what your record says you are. And while Oklahoma's record last year was remarkably disappointing, we also have to take into account that there was a significant systemic change with the type of defense they were running, the identity of the team, how they practiced, how they did things. And by the way, the personnel, I mean, you lost a lot of really good players, not just to SC, but to several other places throughout the country when Lincoln Riley departed Norman. Brent Venables did the best with what he had, but you lose your quarterback for a big game and you just weren't super competitive all the time. There's going to be some growing pains. And I remember talking to Jimbo Fisher about this. Uh, and actually, I talked about Willie talked to Willie Taggart about this after Jimbo Fisher left Florida State for Texas A&M. And Willie Taggart said, man, I took for granted how much the guys were hurt by Jimbo Fisher's departure. And I think there might have been a little of that last year with Oklahoma. Now, they'll never admit that they'll never come out and say, well, we were really disappointed by Lincoln Riley's departure. We were really sad. I think it has an impact on players mentally, psychologically, because you go to a place where you think this is the ultimate destination for me. And this is the ultimate destination in college football. That's what the players at Florida state thought. And then Jimbo left. And then they started to think to themselves, well, what, what, what's wrong with us? I think something similar might've happened at Oklahoma. I think there was a little bit of a scar there when Lincoln Riley left. Now, Oklahoma fans, they were singing from the rooftops. We improved. We were getting soft. Fine. I, that's You can think down the road you might be better off because he left. That's fine. But the reality is it hurt and it stung. It stung all of us as college football fans. We were shocked. And we didn't even have a dog in the fight. So I do think there was a little of that last year. So as a result, culturally, maybe it took a little time. I am in the camp this year, though, that thinks Oklahoma bounces back. If Dylan Gabriel can stay healthy, if they can continue to get more comfortable with Jeff Levy's offense and the defense at all three levels can become just a, just the tiniest bit better. Say Strutzman, for instance, at linebacker. Let's say he takes a big leap and now all of a sudden they're playing more instinctively at middle linebacker or at the second level. That's huge. So I think Oklahoma bounces back in a big way. Does that mean 10 wins? No, I don't see it that way. But nine wins, I think, is within reason. And then how about take it one step further? Don't get blown out in your rivalry game. Simple as that, man. I called the Red River game last year, Red River rivalry. Red River rivalry. I called it last year, and it was really an embarrassing effort. I know you had your backup quarterback in the game, but the team quit. And that can't happen in a rivalry game. They played their hearts out in the final game of the year. And I saw tremendous growth from the midway point when they played Texas to when we saw them against Florida State. There was a ton of growth, a ton of growth in that time frame. Now I want that growth to continue from week one all the way through week 12 for the Sooners because I do think they can be a problem for a lot of teams in the league. Let's go next to a new addition, but a guy that is no stranger to the big stage and a gigantic media day presence. Let's listen to Gus Malzahn, the head coach of UCF. As far as challenging, I mean, the great thing we've had over a year, almost a year and a half to get prepared for this moment. And, you know, talking about having quality depth when you move up conferences and leagues and specifically on the O-line and D-line. And we've worked extremely hard. And I really feel like today, you know, going into fall camp, that we do have quality depth on both lines of scrimmage. 
and that was that was really by design and, and we really feel good about that but just the overall excitement uh of the challenge of, of playing these great th- teams in this league is what's exciting for us four new additions all of which high quality additions i think teams with remarkable upside teams with with great access to talent in Florida and Houston, Cincinnati, of course, has done a great job of carving out their niche. And then BYU, they can recruit internationally. So I love the additions. And I do think there's two teams right now that are poised to be just slightly ahead of the other two. Let's start with Houston. I would have them at number four. There's just too much turnover in the roster. I like their quarterback transferring over from Texas Tech, but I just don't know if there's enough around him. I don't know if there's enough depth on the roster to be highly competitive in year number one, I would have them for it. Number three, I have Cincinnati. Now, people forget. Now, Emory Jones, can he play? Last year was an impossible situation in Arizona State, so don't even get me started with that. All right, it was a disaster, dumpster fire, you name it. Whatever adjective you want to use to describe Arizona State football in 2022, by all means, you're welcome to it. But Emory Jones was kind of in the middle of a difficult spot. Remember, this is a guy that started over Anthony Richardson, who ultimately went number four in the draft. So Emory Jones can play. They have players on that roster that can play. But I do think they've had 14 guys drafted in the last two drafts. At a place like Cincinnati, yes, they've recruited well. Yes, they developed well. But eventually, that takes its toll. So I think they're probably a year, maybe two years away from being back super competitive within not just a Power 5 league, but even if they were in the American this year, I think it had been even a little bit more of a challenge than it had been in recent years. Let's go to number two for me. It'd be BYU. Now, BYU is going to match up physically better than probably anybody in the league that is jumping into the league, that is. They're big, they're stout, they're physically mature, and in some cases, they have grown men playing college football. But here's the problem. I don't know if they are quite ready to compete in a league like the Big 12 from an athleticism standpoint. This is a fast league. This is a league that has a ton of talent at the wide receiver spot. There's a team that has a league that has a ton of talent at the running back spot and a team that has quality quarterback play for the most part across the board. Are they athletic enough to be able to keep those guys in front of them? And will they give up a bunch of big plays? Because I think they'll be stout against the run. I think they'll be solid on defense in the front seven, but... Will they be able to match up against some of the speed that they haven't seen on this consistent of a basis in quite a while? So I think BYU's at number two. And then UCF, I really like UCF this year. Now, this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
that's a relative term because I think if UCF were in the American, they win it. Uh, I, I don't really, I, I don't have a huge question about that. I think they would win it. I really do. But in the Big 12, it's going to be naturally a lot more difficult. Will they be able to hold up? And what does their depth look like? I look at their personnel. They got good personnel. They've done a good job in the portal. Gus Malzahn's doing a great job right now on the recruiting trail, but those guys aren't going to be on campus here in the fall. Now in 24, 25, they'll be cooking. Really like the trajectory that UCF is on. But right now, can they do it today? I think they're still a little ways away. I'm thinking for UCF, a seven and five year would be a terrific first year in the Big 12. They can get to eight and four, man. Let's have a parade because that is a terrific start in Power 5 play. But I would have UCF one, BYU two, Cincinnati at three, and then Houston at four as far as the newcomers are concerned in the Big 12. Continue to appreciate all of you guys for hitting us up in our email, sending us your mailbag questions. We look forward to continue to get to those too. And honestly, some of them are pretty funny. <laughs> we might need to just do like where they just rip us. Like, let's just pull some questions where they're like, you guys are dumb. Why would you say that? But anyways, I still want your opinion on this. Like, those are some of my favorites. So keep those coming too. Always college football at gmail.com. A lot of great response to the top 25 from a couple weeks ago. You guys ripped us. It was awesome. So we're good with that, man. We want it. Bring it. That's the beauty of college football. That's the beauty of fandom. Coops, where are we going? All right. First question comes from John in Mississippi. And he asks, who are you looking forward to hearing from the most at SEC Media Days? Last year, there was the intrigue of Brian Kelly and the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher off-season scuttlebutt. What is the storyline that you are most interested about this year? There's a million different storylines in the SEC right now that intrigue me. But there really isn't one that is as intriguing as the LSU-Bama dynamic and where Brian Kelly is in year two and where Nick Saban is in year 16, 17, whatever year it is, I lose, I lose track. But that power dynamic right now, the overachievement of LSU, and I guess some people have said, well, the underachievement of Bama the last couple of years, like they, they, they finished fourth last year. They finished second the year before. Like, is that an underachievement? I mean, goodness gracious, a lot. The expectations are absurd. But that rivalry is as intense right now because of the quality of play on the field as it's been since Nick Saban first got there in 2007 and 2008. My first trip to Death Valley as a player in 2008 was one of the craziest, most hostile environments I think I've ever seen in my entire life. We went to overtime too. It was insane. That was wild. But I feel like that rivalry, maybe not quite to that extreme because that was genuine hatred. This rivalry now is on the same level as far as intensity because of the quality on both rosters. So that's an intriguing storyline. Where is the next best team? And we asked this question, uh, and maybe this is something we can revisit later in the week, but it feels like Tennessee and Georgia in the East. It feels like Bama and LSU in the West. Who's next? I mean, who's, is it Ole Miss? Is it Texas A&M? Is it South Carolina? Is it Kentucky? That is really intriguing to me. And then I think two quarterbacks. The, and I know you're going to say, oh, Greg, go on a limb. I, I know. I get it. <laughs> I like the position. Okay. I really like it. <laughs> okay. I really enjoy the position. But what's the pecking order? 
a lot of people are saying that Joe Milton's the best quarterback in the SEC. Now, I, I don't align with that. I think he's got a ridiculous ceiling, an amazing ceiling. And maybe by season's end, maybe he'll be in that conversation. Maybe he'll be number one. But Bama lost a Heisman winner. Georgia lost a Heisman finalist. There's competitions being had all over the place. Hendon Hooker at Tennessee should have been a Heisman finalist. Kentucky lost a guy that was drafted in the second round, even though some people thought he was going to be a top three pick. Spencer Rattler was at one point supposed to be the first overall pick, fell on hard times at Oklahoma, played very average for 10 games at South Carolina, then looked like a superstar for three. I think the quarterback position is as intriguing as it gets. Will Rogers, for the record, SEC's all-time leader in completions, if I'm not mistaken, and yet he might not even be an all-SEC performer coming into the season. Preseason all-SEC, I don't know if Will Rogers gets that nod. And yet he's statistically one of the best in the history of the sport. Statistically. Now, I know stats don't indicate everything. I get that. Those of you that say, well, you know, is, is Timmy Chang the best quarterback ever? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying statistically speaking, his stats would indicate he's one of the best to ever do it in the SEC. And yet nobody talks about him. So the, and, and everybody seems to think, well, Bama doesn't have a quarterback, but Georgia does. Carson Beck's the next best thing. I don't, I, I think Carson Beck's going to be great. But how do you know Bama won't have a guy? When was the last time they didn't? When was the last time the quarterback position was a legitimate liability for Bama? Because it's been a while in my eyes. So I think those are probably the three things that intrigue me the most. The Bama LSU dynamic and power struggle, tug of war, if you will, in the West. Who's next after the, likely top four in the media poll whenever that's released. And then the quarterback spot across the board, because there's a lot of good ones and there's a lot that are really underrated. And there might be a few that are a little overrated as well. SEC media day is getting underway today. Very excited about what we're going to see from Nashville. A lot of intriguing storylines. So we asked the question, what do you want to learn from SEC media days on our social media platforms. We had some great responses, especially this one, Chip Minich. When will the SEC adopt a nine-game conference schedule? That might be the one, if we're looking at the 30,000-foot perspective that I'd love to learn, Chip, I'm with you, man. Like, I really, will they? Do they need to? Is that a priority? Is that something that's going to benefit the league long-term when it comes to their rights deal with ESPN, ABC, and Disney? That That's something I think, Ultimately, do I think the SEC will in time get to a nine-game conference schedule? I do. I do think that will happen. I just don't think they're going to do it for free. And I'm not sure Greg Sankey will shed light on that because I'm not sure at this point he can. Uh, I, I don't know if he knows what the financial situation is at Disney to be able to say, hey, yeah, we're going to need another $100 million for nine, eight, well, how many, eight more games a year. Because if it's SEC, SEC, there's 16 members, then eight more games a year. What is that worth? And is Disney willing to pony up for that? I'll find out. I don't know. I hope we find out. It'd be great. But I can't imagine we get an answer to that at this point. We also heard from Tall Paul. Can Alabama keep up with Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee? We've already talked about Alabama. I think Alabama's. I have them number three in the country coming into the season. So... I'm not sure we're going to find that out right now. We'll find that out over the course of the season, but that will be a hot topic of debate. And look, LSU last year, they beat Bama, no doubt. But 
right now, Bama brings LSU to Tuscaloosa this year. I think they'll be favored in the game. Based on preseason prognostications, I think Alabama will be favored in the game right now. If it were played today, I think Bama would be favored. But a lot to learn about LSU, and I think they're going to be excellent as well. And you know they're going to be really well coached. Dog Walker JD, what coaches are on the hottest seats? I don't really like hot seat discussion, but I'll just say this. I think it's going to be a very important year for Eli Drinkwitz. I think he needs to win. I think he needs to win. There's been you already have Oklahoma coming in, you have Texas coming in, Missouri is is already kind of in flux right now, and there have been some great performances under his leadership. There have been some disappointing performances. So he's a guy that I think needs to win this year. I don't think Billy Napier's on the hot seat. He's got tremendous support amongst the administration. They're already seeing tremendous benefits from his recruiting already in the 2024 class. So I don't think they're going to mess with him. And as far as the rest of the SEC is concerned, I, I'm not sure there is anybody. People say Jimbo. Jimbo's not on the hot seat. They're not writing a gigantic check. Unless he goes 2-10, and 10, it's not happening. And guess what? Based on that roster, it'd be almost impossible to go 2-10. and 10. I mean, it really would. You could start nothing but true freshmen and still be better than 2-10. and 10. Let's go to Robert. What are the tiebreakers now that there are no divisions? Well, there are divisions this year. But in the future, they will go divisionless in the SEC. I would imagine the tiebreakers will be head-to-head first and foremost. And then... It gets a little bit trickier. Probably strength of conference opponent record would be number two. I, I hope that at some point it doesn't get down to points differential because points differential, I think, is the worst determining factor because then you're incentivized to absolutely obliterate teams and keep your starters in the game for four quarters and win 77 to 10. So I, I don't want points per game differential, but I think if you can go... Here's one way to do it. How about you take best out-of-conference schedule win. I know that shouldn't have anything to do with the conference championship, but that I think would be worth looking into because it would incentivize teams to schedule difficult non-conference opponents. But I would have guessed it would be head-to-head first, and then number two would likely be the strength of record against other opponents, comparable opponents or whatever the strength of schedule was in your league. But it could go as far as to say, hey, the college football playoff committee decides. That might be the that might be the determining factor. Hey, these four teams are all have the same conference record. What order does the college football playoff committee have them in? All right, top two. Come tee it up in Atlanta. That could be the way they go as well because that kind of takes it out of their hands and puts it into the hands of the committee. A lot of people will disagree with that. People will freak out. But either way, if you're tied at the top for the SEC crown and you don't make it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game, the odds of you potentially getting into the playoff when we get to a 12-team format are probably still pretty dang high. Y'all continue to check our social media at AlwaysCFB and at Greg McElroy. We're continuing to put out questions on our social media because we, we just want to interact with you guys. I, I just want to know what you guys are thinking. And I'm, I'm really, I love our fans because I feel like the people that listen to our show are really, really passionate about the sport. Really passionate. So I really appreciate y'all getting back with us, answering the questions that we've put out. So we've pulled a few so that we can address them here in the show. Like I said, always CFB on Instagram and on Twitter. And then at Greg McElroy on Instagram and on Twitter. So check it out. Let's start with the Big 12 
and some of the big takeaways that were had in the Big 12's media days. Let's start with Aaron, I believe Aaron Morgan, who former South Lake Carroll Dragon, uh, check him out, had a big time interception against Lufkin back in the 2002 semifinal game. Just check him out. Guy's a legend. Uh, anyways, can Texas Tech handle the hype? I, I want to know the same thing, man. I mean, I, I'm really bullish on the Raiders. I've talked about it all off season. I love the momentum that's been created with Joey McGuire. I love the commitment level from the administration and the alumni to now get the get the stadium up to date, make that a chaotic home field environment, man. It feels like Texas Tech is on the cusp, on the cusp. I'm not saying this is 2002 as Mike Leach is getting going and Cliff Kingsbury's finishing up and then in comes, you know, Sonny Cumbie and BJ Simmons and all those. I, I'm not saying we're at that point right now, but this feels pretty close. They feel like the arrow is pointing 90 degrees up, and I'm very excited about the momentum that's been created. Now, can you handle that? Will you be able to keep your wits about you? The big thing for Texas Tech is, hey, be competitive in the games in which the rosters are better than you. They were last year. And then beat the teams you're supposed to beat. That's the first step of a mature football team, so that's what I want to see from the Red Raiders this fall. We also got a great message from Robert. Venables wants to run the ball in a passing era. Now, here's where we might disagree, Robert. I I think things are starting to reverse just a little bit. I'm not saying we're going to go back to having two tight ends, a fullback, and, and a running back with one wide receiver that runs 5-1. We're not going to get back to the, you know, the Stone Age where it's just power, I formation, veer. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not certain we're going in that direction. But I think defenses have adjusted so much to the speed that's on the field in college football. It does feel, let's use Georgia as an example. Look at their recruiting class coming in in 2024. Their recruiting class consists of four offensive linemen that are 350 pounds or 6'6", at least. All right, They want to maul you. That's Georgia now. That's the direction it appears that they're going. Let's think about Bama for a minute. Bama brought in Tommy Reese. What does Tommy Reese do? He wants to maul you with the line of scrimmage. He wants to run the football. So while, yes, quarterback is still the most important position, you still have to be able to throw the football. But if you look at Jeff Levy's offense, and if you look at how that offense has worked, where did Jeff Levy come from? He came from a, well, a few different stops, but his most recent stop was with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. What did Lane Kiffin do last year? In the SEC, I might add. In a league that prides himself on stopping the run. Not as good as the Big Ten stopping the run, but still pretty good. What did Lane Kiffin do last year with Quinshawn Judkins? And they ran the heck out of the football. So I think everybody wants to run the football nowadays. Everybody wants to do it. Now, if you can't run the football, then yes, you have to revert to the pass. But I think every offensive coordinator goes into, into the game saying, then how do we run the football? And if they take away the run, then it opens up the pass. But that's the way most of the world's heading right now. And I think Venables is is kind of seeing where this is going and trying to get out in front of it. And then finally, Dylan Meadows. His takeaway from Big 12 Media Days is that the commissioner is awesome. <laughs> now, I completely agree with you. I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you. I could not be more impressed with Brett Yormark. I, I mean it when I say that. And... 
Brett, I hope you're listening and I hope I get a chance to meet you one day and shake your hand because I have so much respect for what you're doing for your league. Big 10 and SEC fans will look down their nose at the Big 12 and say, well, we don't have to do that. Fair. You're right. You don't have to do that. That is accurate. Can confirm. But if you are the Big 12 and you do not have the luxury of some of the biggest, baddest brands in the land, you have to be creative. You have to do things differently. People mocked Brett Yormark talking about having a big time musical guest at the halftime show at the Big 12 championship game. Why? You want to make your championship game an event. So if Kansas is playing Texas Tech, guess what? Nationally, probably not going to be a ridiculous amount of eyeballs. Not as many as if Michigan played Ohio State. Just not going to be as many. Not as many as if LSU and or Bama played Georgia. It's not going to be as many eyeballs. So what do you have to do? You have to attract them by being unique. And by going after Gen Z and going after the millennials, I think Brett Yormark knows exactly what he's doing. And he's also, he's a, he, you know, they'll never say this publicly, but you know he's in pursuit of other schools. The first instance of interest from Arizona I think they're in. You want my opinion? I think Colorado's already going. I'm, I'm not. That's not. With, that's not sourced. That's not. I'm not. You know. <laughs> I'm not saying it's done. I'm just saying if you told me right now, Greg, bet a hundred dollars. How about I take a hundred dollars of your money? I don't want to bet a hundred of mine, but I'll take a hundred of Kubiak's. All right, we'll take his. Where will Colorado be playing football in 2026? I say the Big Twelve. I, I feel I would actually do the same for Arizona. And who knows, there might be more as well. I love Brett Yormark. I think he's a complete stud. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I think he's already being cutting edge because he has to be. If you're going to go try to play, you know, if you're a Velociraptor and you're trying to play with the T two T-Rexes in the Big Ten and the SEC, you're going to have a tough time. But you can still survive in that world, if you're nimble and quick. And right now, the Big 12 is a Velociraptor. And it's really tough to get your hands on something that's, the quick, that that's, that's that quick. Long show already, so let's dive in quickly to Tennessee. Friday news dump. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you just have a Friday news dump? I mean, goodness gracious, every Friday we have some type of crazy news dump. How come July is so entertaining? I guess, why? well, I just dramatic perhaps maybe the more appropriate term. Let's let's take, talk about Tennessee for a moment. NCAA, thank you for not giving them a bull ban. Seriously. Like, bull bans are the most, I, I guess they're just, they're just ridiculous. I mean, they really are. All you're doing is hurting the players that had nothing to do with the sanctions that went down a few years under the previous regime. I mean, as, the players should not be penalized. Like, I want a chance to go play for my team in a bowl game. I want to go to a bowl game. I want a reward at the end of the season. If I win six games, I should get a reward. So when you take that away, yeah, you penalize the school financially, but you really penalize the players. So I'm glad to see that that ultimately was not the decision made by the NCAA. They did fine the school, however, $8 million. My goodness gracious. Is that a lot of money? I, to me, that feels like a fortune. A fortune. But to a school that, that does very, very well, it's a pretty significant, pretty significant financial penalty. I mean, I thought that was a big number. I, I didn't see it 
coming. I didn't know exactly what it'd be because that's 8 million in addition to the lawyer fees and the other things that you had to do in addition to that. So that's a big number for Tennessee, but hey, worth it if you still get to go to a bowl game and you don't have any further sanctions as far as you know the other aspects of your team are concerned. And then finally, Jeremy Pruitt gets a six-year show clause. This to me feels ridiculous. I mean, six years? Now, what happened under his watch? Reprehensible. I understand that. Ridiculous. Shouldn't have happened. I get it. But man, six years is a long time. And he is suspended for the first year. If he gets a job, he's suspended for an entire year before he has to serve the additional five years of his show cause penalty. So that to me felt a little aggressive, but I guess with what went down under his watch, I can't say I'm that surprised. I mean, NCAA kind of dropped the hammer, but avoiding the bull ban was massive, I think, for Tennessee and the correct decision, I might add. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, review. Like I told you at the beginning, it means so much to us. If you guys can just take a couple seconds to leave a review, leave a rating, it helps us continue to grow like we have over the last year. And we can't wait. Year number two is going to be 10 times better than year number one. So we appreciate your, uh, I guess, help and help promote the show and helping drive the show to places that it hasn't quite been before. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jack, Jake, I'm Greg. We hope you have an amazing day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.